Good evening, Rifters. This is Rifts and Rules, the 5e D&D podcast, where we go through the many 5e books and talk about various rules to enhance your gameplay experience. I'm Nathan, the Dungeon Master of Riftwake. And I'm Remy, a player on Riftwake and Dungeon Master myself. Today, we are here to talk about Rangers. Whip, whip. Rangers dual-wielding melee combatant, or more typically, the archer at range, hence ranger. But no, in all seriousness, rangers are yet another of the more iconic classes of Dungeons & Dragons, but another that is more debated, loathed by some, to be honest. There is an unfortunate agreement amongst most D&D players that the 5th edition ranger is the weakest combatant in 5th edition. And to be blunt, yeah, it yeah, it it pretty much is. Does it have abilities that are still quite good and interesting? Yeah. Is it the brute in combat that so many other classes have the potential to be? No. No, unfortunately not. So, before I do actually dive into all of the mechanics, I am just going to make one more commentary about that aspect of the ranger. There are ways to make powerful rangers, and I'll probably get into it a little later on. But the standard abilities of the ranger just aren't as powerful, to the point where... It is the most prodded at class by Wizards of the Coast. So I'm pretty sure I've mentioned a couple of times here and there in the show. But there's a set of articles called Unearthed Arcana on the website that has all kinds of playtest material for D&D 5e, which is just various tweaks or subclasses or other or additional rules for various things. So the Ranger class was edited so much that there is an entire revised version of the class called the Revised Ranger. And even so, that came out, I want to say, September 2016. So a long time ago, the Ranger has been getting tweaked. And there's been revisions to it even since then, to the point where, actually, I want to say the most recent update was just, uh, I think, November 2019. So just about two months ago when they actually did make an announcement that the revised Ranger, unfortunately, is now dead in editing, so they are not going to publish any revised version of the Ranger, because what they did come out with in the most recent Unearthed Arcana is just a lot of class, for all the classes, overhaul of here is an entire set of alternate class options for characters to choose from. And I will say that is a really good, extensive Unearthed Arcana article that I do highly recommend if you are someone who likes tweaking classes, because there are a lot of good options in there. So that being said, the purpose of today's episode is for us to focus on the original 5e Ranger. So all of the abilities to talk about what isn't great, but also to give them the credit they are due for the things that they do well. And there are a number of things that the ranger is quite good at. And I'm going to do my best to point those out as we go. So that being said, 
Rangers. So part of the pro of the Ranger is that they are a class where it makes sense in world for more people to be Rangers. For someone to be a wizard, you have to be, you know, exceptionally smart and have, you know, the availability to get study in wizardry. To be a sorcerer, you need to have a special bloodline, which we'll talk about in a couple of weeks. For, you know, a warlock, you need to make a pact with some entity. For a ranger, you can just be a guy. And yeah, you pick up some magic along the way, because rangers are a half-caster class, meaning that they do get access to some amount of magic, but even at max level, they will max out at fifth level spells out of the potential nine so they will have access to some magic but they will never reach the pinnacle of magical ability so rangers are honestly one of the classes that are really good for just being guy in the world anyone in the world could potentially be a ranger and that accessibility for a ranger to just be the everyman is a very strong pro of the class that does not get proper appreciation. So, diving into the mechanics. So, one thing that they also don't get a lot of credit for is the fact that they have a D10 hit die, much like fighters and paladins. So, even though they are generally thought to be a ranged class, they do actually have a pretty beefy amount of hit points. And even besides that, they get light armor, medium armor, shields, and all weapons. So all that said, I mentioned that even though they are primarily thought of as ranged combatants, they actually are able to just wield, say, dual short swords or something like that, and do it pretty well in all honesty. Another nice fact is that they actually do get some, well, decent saving throws. So theirs are in strength and dexterity. So dexterity being one of the more common ones for a lot of spells is a pretty significant advantage to them when it comes to avoiding a lot of the more dangerous magic like fireball. So one of the neat things about the ranger class, a lot of their abilities are geared towards either a type of area or a type of enemy. So both of those things are demonstrated with their level one abilities. Uh, that being said, one of the slightly irksome things about the ranger is that much like paladins, their abilities are wordy as hell. So I'm going to just skim through as much as I reasonably can to just kind of get through a lot of these abilities. So I will just say, though, first level favored enemy. So this is one that's really cool thematically speaking but less cool when it comes to the actual mechanics. So at first level, and then again at levels 6 and 14, you get to pick a type of enemy that you're good at tracking. And then once you pick them, you have advantage on survival checks to track them down and intelligence checks to remember information about them. Also, you get bonus language each time that you pick an enemy. So one very important aspect of this is that each time you pick an enemy, you get to pick a type of enemy. So aberrations or beasts or just any of the various types. The only one that limits you from narrowing the type is that humanoids uh, 
instead of getting to be good at tracking all humanoid enemies, which would be ridiculously powerful, you are allowed to pick two races of humanoid each time. So depending on where you want your ranger to have grown up, maybe they start off with, you know, a favorite enemy of beasts, which would make sense. You start off just hunting, and then as you adventure, you get more powerful. And then maybe at level six, you can add, okay, I've had some really bad encounters with gnomes over my adventuring life. And also besides that, say, tieflings, because maybe I'm a little bit racist. So gnomes and tieflings, fuck those guys. And then you have advantage on survival to track them. And then maybe you'll, you know, learn gnomish as a part of that. So the fact that it lets you kind of steer your character around what happens as the character grows as an adventurer is an underappreciated factor of them. Unfortunately, the fact that you only get a tracking advantage and a language is rather underwhelming. So it is cool thematically, but again, mechanically, meh. But also at level one, you get Natural Explorer. This one, I would actually say, is more underappreciated than it should be, as it's actually quite good. So you pick a type of terrain, like Arctic, desert, grassland, that kind of stuff. And the f it has a lot of bullet points below, but before it even gets to that, there's a more important bonus that I think most people probably even miss. When you make an intelligence or wisdom check related to your favorite terrain, your proficiency bonus is doubled if you're using a skill you're proficient in. So there's a lot of other little bonuses about, you know, not getting lost, difficult terrain, you know, uh, stealth, tracking, blah, blah, blah. But that first thing, before it even gets to the bullet points, so it does not say a you know, tracking for, you know, survival. It doesn't say survival or nature or, you know, uh, history or any of that stuff. It just says an intelligence or wisdom check, which means all of the above. So every single time that you're in, say, a forest, if that's the one that you've picked, every time you make any history check or you know, an arcana check to see if you're aware of some kind of magical terrain, or if you roll a religion check to know if there might be some kind of temple in the woods, or if you make a perception check or an insight check, any check using intelligence and wisdom, you double your proficiency bonus for any of those that you're proficient in. So even in the fact that if you're, say, you know, first level, and if you're trained in nature, let's say, let's just say you're just making a plain old nature check to just see if you, if this plant is edible, then that would mean that let's say if you've got a decent, you know, decent, uh, intelligence, let's say it's 14. So you're proficient. So that'd be a plus four, but because of the, this terrain that boosts it to a plus six. So even a first level character for all intents and purposes, getting expertise for any check in their favorite terrain is massively advantageous and very much underappreciated. Especially, again, perception being one of the most used skills in the game. So if you're keeping watch in your favorite terrain, having expertise for all intents and purposes on your perception every time you're in a forest, well, that's real good. Not to mention, with all of that, you do get to pick an additional terrain type at 6 and 10. So by the time you're 10th level, you have three types of terrain that you have this bonus in. 
And all of that just starts at level one. Anyway, moving on. At second level, you get to pick one of the fighting styles. So I did briefly mention this, I think back in Fighter, but it is worth repeating for the options that you get as a uh, ranger because it is archery to get a plus two to ranged weapons or a plus one to AC while you're wearing armor with the defense option or dueling, get a plus two to damage with a melee weapon or two weapon fighting to get your ability modifier to the damage using an offhand weapon. So considering the fact that for the most part, a ranger is going to either be at range or dual wielding, those the archery or two weapon fighting options are hugely powerful. Considering the fact that there are very, very few just flat bonuses to attack rolls, the fact that a ranger gets that archery bonus at level two potentially means that even if they've got, you know, let's say a 16 dexterity, then that would give them a plus five normally, but they would have a plus seven at level two with the archery option. Or on the other hand, if you do want that melee character, then you could dual wield short swords. And then instead of just doing a, you know, D6 plus three, and then just a flat D6 with your other offhand weapon, the fact that you could do at level two, D6 plus three, and then again, D6 plus three, that is fantastic. Fantastic. The fact that you're able to use your bonus action every single turn for an attack to potentially damage an enemy. Well, all right, say it with me, folks. Action economy, action economy, action economy. <laughs> anyway, also at second level, spell casting. So I mentioned before that rangers do have access to magic, and they get that pretty quick at second level. They do not start with it at first, but it's only one level away. So one thing that is different about the Ranger compared to a lot of the other spellcasters is the fact that they do not get cantrips at all. They are not a primary magic-using class. They have a small amount of spells that they can use a few times as utility for the most part as they level up. However, one thing that I will mention so the ranger spell list mostly has spells in common with the druid. And the one that I really do just want to mention is Goodberry. Goodberry is a very hotly debated spell. I believe I mentioned it a little bit in the druid episode. It is fantastic in that one first level spell gives you enough food to potentially feed 10 people for a full day with one level one spell cast. Not to mention the fact that each berry also heals one hit point. So the fact that the ranger actually has access to healing magic is a often forgotten fact about the class. And even besides Goodberry, they do also have access to cure wounds, which is one of the standard healing spells. So the fact that they have Goodberry and cure wounds available at level one does give them a really decent amount of flexibility for the sake of healing and healing always useful to have access to in a party so one other thing about rangers that is different from a lot of other spell casting classes is that instead of having a number of spells of you know half their level plus their modifier or something like that instead they just have a finite number of spells that they know based on their level so a ranger is never going to be the spellcasting powerhouse that any of the full casting classes are. But again, 
the purpose of magic for a ranger is for utility. It is not meant to blow up everybody with fireballs. It is meant to just have a certain amount of magic that is useful. So on that note, there are not a whole lot of spells that are restricted to the ranger, but there is one worth mentioning, which is called Hunter's Mark, and it is only rangers and the Oath of Vengeance Paladin that get access to this, and it is quite interesting. You magically mark a creature as your quarry. Until the spell ends, you deal an extra d6 whenever you hit it with a weapon attack, and you have advantage on perception and survival checks to find it. So the fact that you can have a d6 extra damage on all of your attacks, as long as you maintain concentration on the spell, is really, really good. Anyway, moving along past the magic. So at third level is where you pick your subclass, your ranger archetype. So as usual, we're going to just come back to those various archetypes once we get past all of the general ranger abilities. So... At uh, third level, rangers also get access to Primeval Awareness, which is another of those cool named ones that I like. But it's one of those kind of odd ones in terms of the world. So what it does is you expend a ranger spell slot as an action, and for one minute per level of the spell slot you expend, you can sense whether within a mile of you or up to six miles if you're in your favorite terrain. If there are any aberrations, celestials, dragons, elementals, fey, fiends, or undead. It doesn't say where they are or how many, but just that if there are any. So the fact that for literal miles potentially around you, you could just know, you know, oh, here be dragons. Let's not go this way. Or let's not, you know, go through this wood. I... I don't know if I like that, to be frank about it. The fact that they have such easy access to just know if there are any dangerous creatures of, you know, many, many types of creature within up to six miles. I, I just, I'll be honest, I just don't think I like that one. Anyway, moving along. Uh, they get the usual ability score improvement at 4, 8, 12, 16, 19. At fifth level they get extra attack so again i i do mention this a lot because it's very important but with action economy the fact that a ranger does get two actions per attack is a very valuable thing plus the fact that a ranger who does make that choice to go melee with two weapon fighting would then get two attacks with their action and a third attack as a bonus action so the fact that they can have three attacks per turn at level five, very valuable. So I mentioned before that at level six, they get an additional favored enemy. Level eight, they get Lance Stride to not have non-magical difficult terrain slow them down anymore. Uh, also getting advantage on saving throws against magically created plant, uh, or manipulated plants. Uh, level 10, Hide in Plain Sight. So you can spend a minute, at once you're level 10, that is, to make camouflage for yourself as long as you have mud, soot, plants, yada yada, to make it. 
And once you are camouflaged, you can press yourself against a solid surface and get a plus 10 to your stealth as long as you stay still and not take any movement or actions. And as soon as you do move at all, you have to camouflage yourself. So a real good stealth bonus if you are standing still. But I honestly just think that someone who wrote this was just a big fan of PETA from The Hunger Games. Because this is flat out just that. <laughs> anyway, level 14, Vanish, hide as a bonus action. Also, you can't be tracked by non-magical means unless you choose to leave a trail. So if you have a character in the world, not even if just your character is this, the fact that there are people in the world who do not leave a trail then, which would mean that no survival check, even a crit, leaves, like, does anything. So the fact that there are ridiculously good hiders out there in the world is another of those little details that might be worth thinking about. If you have, you know, a high-level ranger who's just kind of a hermit in the woods, the fact that they can just sneak around as much as they want to is just something to keep in mind if you want to just play up the scenario of just this is someone who is extremely skilled in their turf then also at 14 they get that third favorite enemy level 18 feral senses another fun phrase to say so you gain preternatural senses to help you fight creatures you can't see when you attack a creature you can't see, you don't have disadvantage on your attack rolls against it. You're also aware of the location of any invisible creature within 30 feet of you, provided that the creature isn't hidden and you aren't blinded or deafened. So as long as you have full access to your senses, to just know where an invisible creature is, is hugely valuable. Unfortunately, it is a level 18 ability, so rather high up there. But nonetheless, that is honestly a very useful ability. And finally, Foe Slayer. So their 20th level capstone ability. You become an unparalleled hunter of your enemies. Once on each of your turn, you can add your wisdom modifier to the attack roll or the damage roll of an attack you make against one of your favored enemies. You can choose to use this feature before or after the roll but before any effects are applied. So that's actually pretty useful. So the fact that you can add your wisdom... Oh, I'm sorry, I just realized I forgot something rather important. So for all of the ranger's spellcasting ability, wisdom is their spellcasting stat, much like druids. So that being said, that capstone ability uses their spellcasting modifier, wisdom. So in theory, a ranger is going to have, say, a 14, to say the least, hopefully, in their wisdom, which would mean they'd be able to get a plus two once per turn to the attack or damage roll. So once you have an idea of what you need, so if you need that extra attack or you need that extra damage, those are really, really useful. So before I actually do go into all of the archetypes, I do want to talk that little bit I mentioned about how to make a more powerful ranger. So to be honest, there is one way that truly just immediately makes them more useful. So I talk a lot about how much I love the Great Weapon Master feat, and it also has its sibling feat, the Sharpshooter, which is the same thing, but for uh, ranged weapons. So that feat, Sharpshooter, 
is amazing for a ranger because that single feat both gives the ability to fire at long range without disadvantage anymore meaning you could fire a longbow which they have proficiency with 600 feet with no disadvantage and in addition to that fact they have that choice just like great weapon master to take a negative five to any of their attacks when they make the attack and then if they still hit to get a plus 10 to the damage so considering that number one if you have the archery feature you get a plus two to all of your range attacks and the fact that ranger does have the extra attack ability does mean twice per turn you will end up for all intents and purposes with just three less than if you normally make the attack so plus two and then minus five so you can make potentially very powerful attacks thanks to the sharpshooter feat and that extra range plus all of their tracking abilities to find their foe in the first place that one feat massively helps balance out the ranger's general somewhat lackluster damage so we have a number of ranger archetypes to go over here so there is the beast master bloom stalker horizon walker hunter and monster slayer so starting off with the beast master so this is probably the most commonly desired of the ranger subclasses because for a lot of people when you think about playing a ranger you think oh yeah you know it's a person who has like a bear companion at their side or a wolf or just some cool creature who's their buddy unfortunately this subclass most of all is the one that has prompted so much of the disappointment with the ranger class and that is for two reasons primarily, which is that number one, the companion that you get to pick has to be a beast that is no larger than medium and only has a challenge rating of one fourth or lower. So you are blocked from having pretty much all of the cool beasts that are out there. So you're literally limited to have a weak creature and sure it does get bonuses and yeah it does get you know hit points and all kinds of boosts to it but the ranger's companion section is four paragraphs long describing what you can and cannot do and i am not going to read all of this to you because time but to sum up it's not the most impressive when you when it is your turn, you can use your action to make the beast do stuff. If you don't, all it will do is dodge. That's it. Either you attack or the beast does. The fact that it was, you know, a cool beast doesn't matter. It, it won't attack on its own. It won't do anything unless you tell it to. So it is weak stats and ruins your action economy. So those two facts put together. Ooh. <sighs> And even as you level up through the subclass, uh, this is an irony, at level 7, they, the ability is called Exceptional Training. And all that that is, when your beast, on a turn when your beast companion doesn't attack, you could use your bonus action to command the beast instead of your action, but only to take the dash, disengage, or help action. 
So even with exceptional training, you still can't even freaking use your own action and your creature's action. That sucks. It somewhat gets better at 11 with Bestial Fury, which allows your beast companion to make two attacks when you give it that attack action command. Or if it is a creature that did have the multi-attack action, then it's allowed to use it. Because up to level 11, even if the beast had multi-attack, it's not allowed to use it as reasons. And their last ability at level 15 for the Beastmaster, share spells. When you cast a spell targeting yourself, you can also affect your beast companion with the spell if the beast is within 30 feet. So that is actually a legitimately good ability. That means that if you heal yourself, your beast is also healed. Or any kind of buff or whatever kind of spell that you want to affect you can also affect your companion. But that is legitimately a good one. Unfortunately, all the rest of it, not not so great. All right, next up we have the Gloomstalker. So that is another that is very much fun for me to say. And honestly, this one also has some pretty nifty abilities. So a lot of... This one is just themed around there are dark places in the world and the gloom the, the gloomstalker hunts through them. And that's pretty cool. And a lot of their abilities are also pretty nifty. So first off, when you pick it at third level, you gain access to some additional spells that you normally would not have access to. So you get, you know, disguise self immediately, which is useful, and some other stuff leveling up. You even get greater invisibility once you're able to get to 13th level, which is fantastic as greater invisibility is the version of the spell that even after you attack stays in effect. So if you have a ranger who is, you know, level 13 or higher has the sharpshooter feat, if you're invisible and just concentrating on that spell, then unless it's someone who, you know, can either see invisibility or is, you know, aware of you in some other manner, the fact that you're invisible will give you advantage on all of your attacks. So they would have trouble hit even seeing you, let alone hitting you. You would have advantage on your attacks against them, which when combined with sharpshooter, giving, you know, that plus 10 damage with advantage to the attack roll to balance out that negative five, that is a powerful combination. So a Gloomstalker is a more powerful subclass and also one that, again, I do think the theme of is pretty cool. So also at their level. So one other interesting thing, sorry, quick tangent here. One thing that I also like about the Gloomstalker is that unlike a lot of other subclasses, you get three useful level or sorry, three useful abilities at third level. And then you still get more as you go up. So you get access to the extra magic. You also get a bonus to your initiative equal to your wisdom. So actually, one thing I realized I completely neglected to mention. So the ranger's primary stat is dexterity. Generally speaking, you want dexterity to be your best stat. And depending on whether you want melee or range, some combination of constitution or wisdom as your secondaries. But dexterity is definitely your big one at the start. However, I did mention Wisdom is your spellcasting stat, and this third level ability for the Gloomstalker does give you a bonus to initiative of your Wisdom. 
So if you are a ranged ranger who has, you know, no constitution, but all of your stats in decks and wisdom, then, you know, if you have, let's say, a 16 decks and a 16 wisdom, then that would mean your initiative is plus three for your decks and plus three for wisdom. So a plus six initiative at level three, that's pretty goddamn good. Anyway, besides that initiative boost, it also gives you a 10-foot walking speed boost during your first turn of combat, which, meh. But the other part is real nice for that other third-level ability here. If you take the attack action on that first turn, uh, first of your turns in combat, you can make an additional weapon attack as part of that action. If that attack hits, it takes an extra D8 of the weapon's damage. So, can, again, considering the fact that let's say you level up a bit in this class and keep that 13th level uh, eventually. So that would mean then at that point, if you start off the combat invisible as you sneak up to whoever you're trying to kill, you would get your normal two attacks, potentially with sharpshooter, and an extra attack, which with, an, with advantage with your invisibility is a massive action economy advantage. But one thing to keep in mind, if you, with that third attack especially, if you're invisible and have advantage, and that crits, all your weapon damage dice are rolled again. Or, not sorry, not weapon damage, just all of your damage dice. So, if you hit with that longbow, you would double your weapon damage dice, and you would get to double that d8. And since you're rolling with advantage, that's not impossible. Anyway, that was a bit rambly, sorry. Keep, keep it going. Another fun named one. And again, we're still at the third level abilities for this thing. Umbral Sight. Gain dark vision to a range of 60 feet. If you already have dark vision from your race, its range increases by 30 feet. That is awesome. This is an easy class-based way for any race that doesn't have dark vision to get it. And honestly... Considering the sheer quantity of abilities that you get by third level with this subclass, I would even argue it's worth consideration for multi-classing. And if you don't want to be a full ranger, this is something that might be worth it for some characters to get dark vision because that's really valuable. And even if you already have it, that 30 foot extension like, especially if you're a drow and also this class, then you would have, uh, what would that be, 150 feet of dark vision? So, yeah. But even besides the dark vision, you also gain an ability to evade other creatures that rely on dark vision. While in darkness, you are invisible to any creature that relies on dark vision to see you in that darkness automatic invisibility circumstantial true but still useful at level three automatic non-resource expending invisibility useful all right anyway ba -ba -ba. iron mind at level seven uh hone your ability to resist the mind-altering powers of your prey gain proficiency in wisdom saving throws if you already have this proficiency you instead gain proficiency in intelligence or charisma saving throws, your choice. Huh, that's nifty. 
So you start off with strength and dexterity saving throws. With this, you gain wisdom. The fact that it has that last line, though, that has an interesting implication. The fact that it does mention if you already have the proficiency, that implies that either A, you're expected to gain wisdom saving throws either with a feat at, at level four, or this subclass is actually kind of designed for subclassing, or sorry, sub, uh, for multiclassing rather. So the fact that that is level seven, so a relatively accessible ability if you did want to make some type of half and half style character. So you would have the potential ability to gain a third or fourth type of saving throw with that ability. And that is a potentially useful amount of flexibility. Level 11, Stalker's Flurry. I like a lot of the names of this one, I'm noticing. Once on each turn, when you miss with a weapon attack, you can make another attack as part of the same action. So once a turn, if you miss, you get to try again. Automatically, it's not limited by a certain number of times a day. You can just do that. And at, for a level 11 ability, that's actually quite powerful. So I think my bias is shown here, but I think it's safe to say that Gloomstalker may be one of the more powerful subclass options. Uh, anyway, there's one left for, uh, for that lovely Gloomstalker. Shadowy Dodge at 15th level. When a creature makes an attack roll against you and doesn't have advantage, you can use your reaction to impose disadvantage. You must use this feature before you know the outcome of the attack roll. That is interesting. So if a creature attacks you, you can just use your reaction to give it disadvantage. Nifty. All right, moving on. Next up, we have the Horizon Walker subclass. So while the Beastmaster is around having a beast buddy and the Gloomstalker is more about hunting the things that lurk in the dark, the Horizon Walker is more about the extra planar entities. So when it talks about the Horizon, they mean of the world. So they're talking about portals for the most part, and a lot of the abilities of the class are geared around portals in some way or other. So even first of all, as you gain, uh, blah, words, words, words. So they gain access to another set of additional spells to help them out as they level up. But unlike the Gloomstalker, these are all geared around movement for the most part. So they gain Misty Step at 5th level, Haste at ninth level, which is a fantastic spell in its own right. And by the time they get to 17th level, they get access to Teleportation Circle, which is hugely valuable to have access to in a party at all levels. Takes a while to get there, but Teleportation Circle, good. Anyway, uh, third level, though, they gain the ability to magically sense the presence of a planar portal as an action. You can detect the distance and direction to the closest planar portal within a mile of you, and then can't do it again until you finish a shorter long rest. So that is a somewhat odd ability in that it is only for planar portals. That does not help if there are teleportation circles nearby, only for planar ones. So that is actually a somewhat dangerous ability to have access to so early in the game 
because plainer shenanigans, for lack of a better word, can be rather dangerous. But it could also be a very interesting ability if you really want to just kind of go nuts with it, lean into it. You can have just crazy multiverse shenanigans in the party just if you have a Horizon Walker in the party. They could very much be the instigator of all kinds of stuff. Anyway, also at their level, they gain access to a planar warrior. As a bonus action, choose a creature within 30 feet. Next time you hit that creature on this turn with a weapon attack, all damage dealt by the attack becomes force damage, and the creature takes an extra d8 of force damage. When you reach 11th level, the damage increases to 2d8. So, this is actually another real useful one for the ranged rangers because for better or for worse the ranger doesn't have a lot of use for their bonus action if they are super far away this gives a very good option so just if you hit once with one of your attacks then you'll do extra damage so use your bonus action oh but it's within 30 feet so that actually is somewhat hmm that would be more useful if it was a longer range but still more damage always good Ethereal Step at level 7. This is actually one of the more underappreciated abilities as well, come to think of it. So the Etherealness spell is normally a 7th level spell, and this is for a 7th level character. But this is one of those situations where it's easy to forget that spells and characters do not level up one-to-one. So Etherealness is normally only available to a 13th level character. And this gives you a modified version of the spell to use at level 7. So the spell version can last up to 8 hours and basically lets you just ignore objects for that time. This ability only lets you do the same thing for the current turn. But the phrasing of this is very, very particular. So it is a bonus action to use the ability for the current turn you get to use the effect of etherealness that means you still have your action available and you still have your move available so you can dash which would mean you get to move through objects for a very brief amount of time and there is very little defense at that level for most things that you'd be dealing with so the ability to just walk through a wall say, into a vault, perhaps? There are a lot of ways that you could use such an ability, and you get it back by finishing a short or long rest. So the fact that it's not a times per day, but just a short rest recharge, does give some interesting flexibility to the ability. Next up, Distant Strike at 11th level. When you take the attack action, you can teleport up to 10 feet before each attack to an unoccupied space that you can see. Then a secondary effect. If you attack at least two different creatures with the action, you can make an additional attack against a third creature. So again, action economy. So this is not good for focus fire, but if you have multiple creatures that you're firing at, and again, if you have the sharpshooter feet and are far away, this is even more valuable, then you could potentially attack three enemies in a single turn very good and then finally spectral defense at level 15 
you can slip through the planar boundaries to lessen harm done to you during battle. When you take damage from an attack, you can use your reaction to give yourself resistance to all of that attack's damage. So every single turn, you have the choice to use your reaction to take half damage from any attack. Not limited to spells, not limited to melee. Any one attack, you can have the damage against you. That is fantastic. Alrighty then. Now we're coming up to the Hunter, which is another of the classic archetypes of the class. So, Hunter is actually rather different in how they organize it. Instead of having multiple abilities that it gives you at a time, Hunter, I would say, is one of the ones that gives you the most flexibility in that at each of the levels where you get an ability, you don't. Instead, you're given a choice of three at each of the levels where you gain an ability. So at levels three, seven, 11, and 15, you get to pick one of three abilities. So this is one that will take a little bit more time to get through because there are so many options. So at third level, you get to pick between Colossus Slayer, Giant Killer, or Horde Breaker. This is another one that also has some very fun namings. Anyway, Colossus Slayer. When you hit a creature with a weapon attack, the creature takes an extra d8 if it's below its hit point maximum. It can only deal this extra damage once per turn. Giant Killer. A larger, larger creature within five feet of you hits or misses you with an attack. You can use your reaction to attack that creature immediately after its attack, provided that you can see it. Horde Breaker. Once on each of your turns, when you make a melee attack, you can make another attack with the same weapon against a different creature that's within five feet of the original target and within range of your weapon. So extra damage, a reaction to make an attack, so action economy benefit, but Horde Breaker, I think, is generally the favorite just for the fact of extra attacks automatically, good thing. Then at seventh level, you get a defensive option. So you can either have opportunity attacks have disadvantage against you, or uh, when a creature hits you with an attack, you get a plus four to your AC against subsequent attacks made by that creature for the rest of the turn, or advantage against saving throws for being frightened. So that second one, so many things have multi-attack, that having multi-attack defense to get a plus four for subsequent attacks I would say that one is pretty goddamn good. And at 11th level, you get some form of multi-attack of your own. You get to pick between one of two options at this point, volley or whirlwind. So with volley, use your action to make a ranged attack against any number of creatures within 10 feet of a point you can see within your weapon's range. You must have ammunition for each target, and you make a separate attack roll for each. Holy moly, that's amazing. So that would mean that you could potentially hit, what, uh, is that 16 or 25? I'm not sure exactly how they count that one. But point being, more attacks equals good. Actually, let me think. This is important. I should know this. So it's within 10 feet of a point, which would mean that there's a point in the center, and then it would be two away. So that would create a 5 by 5 grid. So that would mean then 
that it would be potentially up to 25 creatures could potentially be attacked. So if you have that, you just really should stock up on your arrows. Uh, or just try your best to get a magic bow that conjures ammunition. That would be massively valuable for that class. Or the other option, though, whirlwind attack. Use your action to make a melee attack against any number of creatures within five feet of you with a separate attack roll for each. So again, this is fantastic action economy for both of those abilities. It's just one ranged and one melee. So the fact that you can just do an attack against every creature next to you or a volley attack against a bunch of creatures within your range, those are really good. I will say I think volley wins just because it's potentially more creatures attacked, but if you do want to make that melee ranger, whirlwind is still a fantastic ability. And finally, at level 15, superior hunter's defense. Ooh. So you get to pick between evasion, stand against the tide, or uncanny dodge. So evasion, uh, when you're subject to an effect that lets you make a dexterity saving throw to take half damage, you instead take no damage if you succeed on the saving throw, and only half if you fail. Stand against the tide. When a creature misses you with a melee attack, you can use your reaction to force that creature to repeat the same attack against another creature other than itself of your choice. Uncanny dodge. When an attacker you can see hits you with an attack, you can use your reaction to have the attack's damage against you. Honestly, all three of those are really good options. So at that point, it's more just what is the style that your character has become by that point in the game? Would you rather, do you face more magic enemies and want the evasion to help protect yourself? Do you want to redirect into others if you face a lot of, you know, a lot of numbers of creatures? Or if you have more single powerful enemies, uncanny dodge may be more useful to use your reaction to take that half damage. But that's honestly a lot of really good abilities accessible from the hunter. And finally, the monster slayer. Honestly, I think that's pretty much what it says on the tin in terms of the theme. There are a lot of creatures that are very dangerous out there. Monster slayers try to take them down. So first off, much like some of those others, they get access to some additional spells as they level up. So they get some rather good ones. Zone of Truth at 5th level is always fun. Magic Circle to try to protect yourself or contain something else. There's some nice options on the list. Also, 3rd level, Hunter's Sense. You gain the ability to peer at a creature and magically discern how best to hurt it. As an action, choose a creature you see within 60 feet. You immediately learn whether it has any damage immunities, resistances, or vulnerabilities, and what they are. If the creature is hidden from divination, though, you do not sense any of that stuff. And you can only use this a number of times equal to your wisdom modifier, but you get them back after a long rest. So that's pretty nifty. The ability to know, oh, this is what I should use to hit the creature, or, oh, don't use fire, it's immune. That's useful knowledge. Downside being, it is an action to use, not a bonus action. But still, knowledge can be very useful for certain types of creatures. Also at third level, Slayer's Prey. As a bonus action, designate a creature you can see within, within 60 feet, 
The first time each turn that you hit that target with a weapon attack, it takes an extra D6 damage from the weapon. The benefit lasts until a short or long rest. Ends early if you designate a different creature. So this is almost like that Hunter's Mark spell that I mentioned, but this is just an ability. Also, there is nothing that says that this would be incompatible with Hunter's Mark. So as long as you did it on over two turns, you could cast Hunter's Mark and then cast this and then do an additional 2d6 damage to every single attack. Yay. Seventh level, Supernatural Defense. Extra resilience against Prey's assault on your mind and body. Whenever the target of your Slayer's Prey forces you to make a saving throw, and whenever you make an ability check to escape that target's grapple, add a d6. That's one that doesn't sound particularly interesting, but is massively useful. So many of those dangerous monsters in the world try to grapple you. Vampire try to grab you so that they can bite you. Something like a mind flayer tries to grab you so it can eat your brain. So the fact that you can get that extra d6 to try to escape that, not to mention to get that extra saving throw for any ability that your prey uses, that's really good. Ooh, another fun named one. Magic user's nemesis. I like the word nemesis. That does not get used often enough in conversation. Level 11. When you see a creature casting a spell or teleporting within 60 feet of you, you can use your reaction to try to magically foil it. The creature must succeed on a wisdom saving throw against your spell save DC, or its spell or teleport fails and is wasted. Once you use this feature, you can't use it again until a shorter long rest. That is another one with rather interesting phrasing. So the fact that it specifies spell or teleport means that uh, even for those many, many creatures that have the ability to teleport that are not using the teleport spell, which normally cannot be counterspelled because it's an ability, this specifically is able to foil those. So many creatures try to teleport away if they are smart and in a bad condition so the fact that this subclass is able to just nope it is again useful and finally slayer's counter level 15 if the target of your slayer's prey forces you to make a saving throw you can use your reaction to make one weapon attack against the quarry you make this attack immediately before making the saving throw if your attack hits your save automatically succeeds in addition to the attack's normal effects. That is amazing. So A, just using your reaction consistently to make a weapon attack is fantastic. Also, you have to be within 60 feet to pick a creature to be your prey. One very important lack of phrasing in that spell it does not say that you have to maintain that distance so as soon as you have marked your creature with your slayer's prey you can start backing up so the fact that you can be far away and then get this counter ability and which does not have a designated range that is 
a very good combination of abilities. All right, and that was our last of the Ranger subclasses. So, in summary, the Ranger, by default, does not have the most damage of a class. However, there are a lot of subclasses amongst the class that do have very, very useful abilities. They have a lot of useful spells that are very much worth having around in the party. And there's definitely builds and weapons and many different ways in general to make them a damage dealer if you really want that. But most importantly, the utility that they bring to the table can be a lot of fun. Thanks for listening to this episode of Rifts and Rules. Please leave us a review and give us five stars on iTunes. Also, support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash Podcast. Tears start as low as a dollar, and even that much really helps us out. Supporters get benefits such as behind-the-scenes content, early access to episodes, access to the Patreon Discord, where we'll be able to chat with the cast, and even a shout-out on the show. Find us on social media, on Twitter at Riffwake Podcast, on Facebook as Riffwake, and on Reddit on the subreddit r slash Podcast. And now, send us an email, riffsandrules at gmail.com. That's riffs, A-N-D, rules, at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Bye! You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.